I think Buddy Matthews and uh, Rhea Ripley got married this weekend. That's very cute. Wait, who? Um, two wrestlers. Uh, I, 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 when you said Rhea Ripley, my brain, my neuron activation happened. And now I need to repeat who the first guy was. He was the former Buddy Murphy in WWE. Eh. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> It's very funny considering that uh, he's in AEW and Rhea Ripley is in an on-screen relationship with Dominic Mysterio. <laughs> wow. I I don't understand how they can bill her as straight in her her wrestling persona. The the relate let me tell you the the relationship between Dominic Mysterio and Rhea Ripley in kayfabe is not straight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, noted. Tuning into Gay Space Rocks, a Steven Universe watching podcast where we watch Shin Common Rider. My name is Brian. I use he, him pronouns. You can find me on the internet at RoomwarePod, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, and I won't call it anything else, uh, at Gay Space Pod. With me, as always, is my not a thinly veiled metaphor for like a, a, a religious organization that's slowly taking over a government co host, August. Hello, I'm August, and you can find me on Twitter, which is the name of the site, I refuse to call it otherwise, at HarpyDora, or on Tumblr at Strange Harpy, and my pronouns are they, them. And with us this week to talk about the, a show who has way more experience with this shit, as other than our dumbasses just wandering being being like, oh yeah, that, that's some motorcycles, uh, is our good, good friend, uh, Brandon O'Brien. Hi everybody, it's me, Brandon O'Brien. Um, my pronouns are he or they or they, and you can find me almost everywhere on the internet at the Rising Tides. That's T I T H E S. I have a lot of feelings about Kamen Rider, and I am very, very ready to offload them on folks who know that I have these thoughts, but have been recent, have been spared among most of my friends. So this is my opportunity to rectify that, and I'm going to relish it um, for as long as possible. Yeah, I think I think Brandon and I have been talking about like the arrival of uh, this common writer movie for like for like a year yeah. and a half, like very anticipate heavily anticipated this movie. Mm hmm. Um, when the Shin universe was first announced, I was very hype about this thing. And then I had to wait until July to see it. Yeah, very rude. Y yes. Um, Though, first off, uh, let, we'll go with Brandon. Brandon, have uh, you watched uh, any uh, cartoons as of late? And uh, by cartoons, we mean basically any media. Any media? Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> I have been overwhelmingly busy recently and therefore haven't really been um, watching a great deal of things. And then this morning, I remembered that a thing is out that I'm mostly not hate watching, but curiosity watching. 
um, which is a show on Amazon freebie called Almost Paradise. Um, it is not a cartoon, sadly. It is a live action series. Hmm. Um, but it's really just what if Dean Devlin, the executive producer of uh, Leverage and the Librarians, just took Christian Kane and put him in the Philippines? Like that's that's the show. That's the show. Um, a hmm. white a white man who used to be a DEA agent goes to the Philippines in the hopes that it will lower his high blood pressure and then just gets into police hijinks that the local police have to talk him out of or talk him into because of course being a white man he must be a savior even though <laughs> the two police officers who ask for his help are obviously more competent than he is um so yeah it's a good show because christian kane is in it and uh, dean devlin is producing it but there are a lot of feelings I have about its framing <laughs> that are curious in particular because uh, Devlin is half Filipino. Mm -hmm. So he's not co-opting anything. Right. But it does feel very co-opty. <laughs> right. It's like, this shouldn't feel as bad as it does. <laughs> Why is Christian Kane here? If you, if you, if you replace Christian Kane, it, like if you took Christian Kane out of the show, the entire cast would be majority Filipino. And that would be rad. And I like Christian Kane, so I'm not saying that I'm not saying this because I don't want to see him do cool things. But both of those things together just feels very weird. And I'm watching to see something. I'm watching to learn something that will change my mind. <laughs> um uh august have you watched any uh cartoons of as of late or have you just been in Baldur's gate brain um so i have been in Baldur's gate brain um which is funny because like one of the first things you can do you can choose to have a brain as a pet um which i did not do my character tavia um, is entirely sick of uh illithid bullshit uh, point of order, when we say brain as a pet, do we mean a brain in a jar, or do we mean intellect devourer? Uh, an intellect devourer. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Um, Anya got it for me uh, this past weekend. I spent like a day downloading it because my computer decided to not download at a very good speed. Um, and uh, I've put many hours into it. I'm not very far but I'm having a lot of fun. I'm playing a dwarf rogue because I can. And I'm very sad because the facial hair options are not as robust as I would have liked. But the beard I picked for her suits her well enough. So Good. Uh, but yeah, I I never thought I would be having fun with... Uh, with a D and D CRPG, but uh, here we are. I'm having an absolute blast. I have not met all of the companions yet. I have no idea who I'm going to romance. Uh, yeah. Nice. I've been hearing nothing but good things about Baldur's Gate. Uh, it's <sighs> it's not without its problems, mm -hmm. but it's it's still just it's super fun. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. Nice. Nice. I feel like a lot of the experience that I've seen other people have with Baldur's Gate is 
I want to confirm that this video game can do a thing that I can do just playing D&D. Oh, it did the thing. I am now pleased. Mm-hmm. It seems feeling. to also take into it, like, from what I've heard, it seems to take into account you making those, like, like off-the-cuff or wild, like, wild-out-of-pocket decisions. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of effort to make a game do that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, what have I been in this definitely only been two weeks since our last recording session, uh, mm-hmm. of time? Um, let's see, uh, been deep, deep, deep down in the YouTube, uh, like watching super long YouTube videos. I uh, happenstantially, I sent the link to, um, to Brandon <laughs> last night, but like, as I was kind of settling in to watch Common Rider, I got a notification that like uh, a YouTuber that I very much like named Hazel um, put out a video about um, like basically Japanese low to no budget independent tokusatsu filmmaking. Uh, that was a very it's a very fun little documentary. I highlight like if you have like. I, I think Hazel makes some really, really great videos, and I think it's they, like their content is uh, very, very much worth worth checking out. Um, kind of has like the millennial, like millennial, millennial anime brain uh, turned into a YouTube channel is how I would just like generally describe Hazel's Hazel's uh, content. Um, then I also watched. Uh, the new joint from Sophie from Mars, the world is not ending, which was very, very nice and inspiring, but still extremely heavy. Um, so I, I recommend that one. It's basically like, uh, it, it is like kind of like, not a, like a treatise against doomerism, but like why that, like, why the model will eventually like by nature of the model being so unsustainable, something must come after it kind of situation. Um, which is, uh, which was a nice, nice watch. Um, then other things I'm sure. Um, Oh, I think that, so I, (laughs) Listener, you haven't heard from us for a while. Also, you might be like, hey, where the rest of where where the rest of Owl House at? Because I never I didn't even put anything in the fucking feed because I'm a dummy. Um, so August and I are not going to be doing the rest of the Owl House. We will come back to the Owl House when uh, uh, the SAG after strike is over and they get uh, the pay and like uh, job security uh, demands that they so rightfully deserve. Um, so we'll, we'll be getting back to that. In the meantime, uh, August and I have every intention of also still producing content. We will like we're going to watch The Witch from Mercury, Gundam The Witch from Mercury um, in the meantime. And hopefully by the time we get through that, uh, the, the SAG after strike will be over. Um, but we're trying to focus on if not, then I don't know what we're going to do. Uh <laughs> 
I, I'm sure sag after will also be in roughly that same boat. So we'll all figure it out together. Um, on a similar note, um, the Marvel Studios VFX workers are voting to union, uh, uh, voting on unionization, uh, starting next week. So that should be like big luck to them because if any goddamn motherfuckers in any industry need a fucking union, <laughs> it is VFX workers from fucking Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually kind of surprised because the conversation had always been for some time that some branches of film production cannot unionize for some legal or operational reason. And that's why they didn't have a union before. But knowing that that is not the case and that they're going to do thing is actually very inspiring. Yeah. And I hope that it uh, kicks off a lot of things. I think there was a brief conversation as well about, I think it was... Uh, costumers or set designers I can't recall who I can't recall which um, group but um, apparently the the union bug is spreading and I'm very excited to see what that uh, looks like when uh, the dust settles oh oh another thing that I watched sorry like scrolling through the the the, the stuff um, I did go see the Ninja Turtles thing I'm not going to talk about it in depth but it's pretty good um, and I liked it quite a bit. It's very cute. Um, and also, apparently, the unlike Spider-Verse, the, uh, according to the people who worked on it, they did not uh, kill themselves to do it. So that's good, too. <laughs> um, and uh, one last bit of cartoon news. Um, which is uh, ripped to Johnny Hardwick. Uh, the voice of Dale Gribble, <laughs> one of the funniest, funnest characters in animation. <laughs> um, so. All right. Well, I believe it. it is time. Uh. I will scream Henshin, and we will begin. Uh, that's the right word, right? <laughs> Just realize it, it is. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sweet. I'm, yes. I doubted myself as I said it. I was like, I'm gonna do a whole bit, and I'm like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I didn't commit. You got. You must commit. So this week we are watching the movie Shin Common Rider, written and directed by Heidi uh, Hidedeki Ano. Um, best known for his uh, work uh, with Neogenesis Evangelion. Um, he was also the writer-director for Shin Godzilla and Shin Ultraman, uh, a movie that I haven't seen because uh, I don't know where to watch it. <laughs> um, it was... Uh, it is based on the original Kamen Rider uh by uh Shotaru Ishimori Ishin Ishinomori Ishinomori yeah sorry I read that name wrong yeah Shotaru um, Ishinomori yeah and uh let's see it came out on in March in Japan but I think it released in America on Amazon in July right uh yes yeah. but or I in, guess the if I yeah but in like 
early June, if I recall correctly, it had its first um, announced launch in the U.S. It was uh, available to watch in select theaters in the U.S. um, for like a week and a half in June, if I recall correctly, Mm -hmm. before it was available on Amazon Prime Video. Which is part of the reason why I'm so jealous of you all. Listen, I, t- I told you I'd give you my VPN login if you wanted it. Oh no, I still got to see it. Like okay. I, I knew that I would I knew that I would do the Amazon Prime thing. I had a VPN. Mm-hmm. Oh, if oh, I could have oh. seen it in a theater. Yeah, I yeah there were no the theaters thing. near me. I don't think even I think maybe the closest one maybe was Atlanta. Um because like mm-hmm, probably. Yeah, because like it was none very, of the, very yeah, very. Slow. It was very, very scarce, but yeah. I would have gone on the drive. I would have hopped up a, 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 a Greyhound bus and found myself to a theater if I could have. But yes. All right. So the plot of Shin Kamen Rider. Strap in because this is a long summary. <laughs> There's This movie is dense and also mm-hmm. sparse at the same time. Motorcyclist Takeshi Hongo is kidnapped by the Sustainable Happiness Organization with Computational Knowledge Embedded Remodeling, or Shocker, the sinister organization that transforms humans into brainwashed synthetic animal hybrids known as Augments, or Augs. Hongo is transformed into the Grasshopper Aug-01, but he is set free by Ruriko uh, uh, Midorikawa. Midorikawa. Yeah. A former Shocker member uh, before he is brainwashed. Shocker sends out one of its uh, executive agents, Spider Og, to retrieve them and briefly captures Ruroriko, uh, but is saved by Hongo in his augmented suit. Um, they retreat to a safe house when they rendezvous with Ruroriko's father, uh, Hiroshi Midi- uh, Midorikawa. He reveals that Hongo is his masterpiece augment to defeat the organization and chose him because Hongo wished for power after his father, a policeman, was killed by a suspect he was trying to eat. Uh, trying to. Okay. T- tangent, because I normally read other summaries. Uh, his father was killed by a subject or a, a suspect while he was trying to de escalate a situation, kind of, sort of. Um. It, he also explains that the life source Prana allows Hongo to harness superhuman strength. Uh, also, a key plot point is that the, the he has like a Prana generator on his body that is wind powered for him. I feel like that's an important plot point this leaves out. Um, they are discovered by Spider Og, who kills Dr. Midori Kawa and kidnaps Roriko. Uh, once more, only to be thwarted again. After uh, processing the recent events, Hongo vows to use his powers for good and abandons the title of Grasshopper Og, dubbing himself Common Rider. Uh, Roroko is untrusting of Hongo, but cedes to relying on his abilities. Later, two unnamed government agents approach Hongo and Roroko and convinces them to form an alliance to take down Shocker in exchange for security and intel. Roroko reveals that Shocker is a secret society originally created by a billionaire with the goal of leading to human- leading humanity to happiness. However, the billionaire committed suicide and left Shocker in the hands of an artificial intelligence 
that misinterprets its creator's will, believing that mankind's salvation lies in subjugation. At the request of the government, Hongo and Rorokor defeat several Ogs, including Rorokor's friend Hiromi, who is the Wasp Og. Um, when Hongo refuses to kill her, Wasp Ob is Og Blah is shot by one of the unnamed agents using Scorpion Og's venom. Later, Rorokor's brother Ichiko awakens and is the Butterfly Og um, before she has a chance to complete a code that would that could suppress him. Ichiko kills several government agents by sending their souls to a hellish dimension known as the Habitat Realm. Rororoku reveals that he intends to do the same to all of mankind because his mother was murdered randomly in an incident that made Ichiko outraged with humanity. Hongo and Rororoku attempt to confront Ichiko but are subdued and Hongo is hindered by Shang like sh blah, 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 by Shocker's newcomer Hayato Ishimori turned into Grasshopper Og O2. Hongo escapes with Roriko, but is maimed by Ichimori. Ichimanji, sorry. Blah. Ichimanji. However, Roriko succeeds in liberating Ichimanji from Shocker's brainwashing no longer uh, after Roriko. Not long after, Roriko is killed by the KK Og, who is, uh, is uh, like a grasshopper and a chameleon, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, things get weird. Okay, things start weird in this movie and go weirder. So, so if this, this yes. summary, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't think there's a great, concise summary anybody can write of this movie. <laughs> so if you're confused, you there need to go probably is. watch Common Writer. Yes, yeah. this this movie is an attempt to uh, condense a great deal of the original Common Writer series into one movie so a lot is happening it also still. does not give a fuck about trying to explain shit to you it just assumes you you either are here for the ride or you're not <laughs> yeah um, pretty much uh after recovering hunger reviews Roroko's last will via his helmet she reveals that she lost to uh, ichiro because her prana outmatched his prana outmatched hers uh, and that she transferred a code into Hongo's helmet that would neutralize Ichiru and confides that her time with Hongo truly made her happy. After Hongo mourns her death, he fall, fa fails to convince uh, Ichimanji to work with him against Shocker and asks the two unnamed agents for a favor before confronting Ichiro. Hongo is ambushed by a squadron of grasshopper Ogs, but is saved by Ichimorji. Manji, uh, who dubs himself Common Rider Number Two, and the two cooperate to defeat the Ogs. When they are confronted by Ichiro, he transforms into his complete form, Common Rider Number Zero, who proves to be powerful despite Hongo and Ichimanji's destroying his source of prana. The duo succeed in removing uh, Ichiro's helmet and replacing it with Hongo's, where Ichiro interacts with Ruroko's soul, and the two reconcile. Having exerted his prana, both Ichiro and Hongo die. Later, the two government agents honor Hongo's favor by bequeathing his helmet to Ichimanji and reveal that he that they have secured Roroko's soul in a safe location and that Hongo uh, wanted Ichimanji to carry on the name of Kamen Rider and defeat Shocker. Ichimanji reluctantly agrees to work with the two agents who identify themselves as Tachibana and Taki. With a new suit and a refurbished version of Hongo's helmet, Ichimanji interacts with Hongo, 
who transfers his soul into the helmet, and the two of them, now known as Common Rider 2 plus 1, ride toward a hopeful sunset. Star wipe at the end. <laughs> Let me say, so this is a move that I have not seen in a long time, a movie with this level of intent in literally every decision. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually wanted to open by asking mm-hmm. you both a question because I am acting under the assumption, and please correct me if this mm-hmm. assumption is incorrect, that um, neither of you have watched Kamen Rider, any Kamen Rider content before this point. That the most experience that you may have had with Tokusatsu is probably Power Rangers. Would I be mistaken in that assumption? I You would be. Yeah. I watched some of Kamen Rider, I think it's Kamen Rider Black. As in the original Kamen Rider Black or Kamen Rider Black Sun, which is also available on uh, Amazon Prime Video. It might be Black Sun. When did Kamen Rider Black come out? Kamen Rider Black came out in the 80s. Then, yep, it was Black Sun. <laughs> right, the the heavily political, very intensely bloody Kamen Rider Black Sun. That is almost obviously about political assassination. <laughs> So yes, you made a good choice. Uh, August, you were also about to correct me. Yeah, so most of my, most of my exposure to Toku is through Super Sentai stuff. Um, but I've watched a couple of other Toku shows, including the the live action Cutie Honey show, which I still really enjoy. Um, and I've seen most of Common Rider Double, but in as far as like original common writer i have i came into this blind yeah i have not i have Double. super duper have like no real context for like og common writer august i just want to let you know i think you've won my heart uh <laughs> double is one of my favorites double uh, is so good double is one of the places where everyone should start getting into the franchise i think because it's like do you like do you like detectives would you like to watch someone be very good at being a detective but very bad at being cool here. Watch this. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to ask because obviously one of the things that I'm very interested in is how people feel about witnessing um, Toku for the very first time. And especially, I think, uh, Anno with the entire Shin franchise is trying to make a thing that is a good introduction to... Uh, franchises that he has liked for uh, ages in mm-hmm. his own career. Like if you if you follow uh, Anno's actual creative life uh, when he was in university, uh, one of his student films was an Ultraman parody where he is just Ultraman. Like he doesn't <laughs> transform into Ultraman; he just gets big. Um, <laughs> Uh, so it's kind of obvious to a lot of people that Hideaki Anno is a huge nerd. Well, he is, um, I mean, and- for, like, Western, for Western people exposed to, like, say, like, Evangelion at the time, it feels like this, like, mm-hmm. like, super cool, revolutionary, like, new thing, when realistically what he's doing is he's just, he is riffing on, like, known, like, cliches and traits that already existed in the, like, mecha and giant robot in tokusatsu, like, genres, even within that work. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think that I think that that's his uh, it, it, one of his narrative strengths. Um, and I part of the reason why I was very excited about the uh, Shin movies is because I feel like it would be an opportunity for him to not only tell the version of those franchise stories that would be closest to his narrative vision, but also to just make a thing that would be a good entry point for people who have never experienced this thing mm-hmm. um, in their lives, which I also think is not a thing he probably thought about because he didn't anticipate whether America would be, would see Shin Kamen Rider. Yeah. Um, because we, because yeah. on the other side of the Atlantic, we, don't get to see a lot of those things. Yeah. Um, Common Rider historically has the, not never broke into the West like like the Super Sentai stuff did. I mean, honestly, other other Toku and Super Sentai stuff just never broke into the West the same way that like uh like mm-hmm. Power Rangers did. Like because they tried they tried to do Western Common Rider with like a Masked Rider series. Um, basically, yes, you know, they tried twice. Yeah. And it's with weird. Masked Rider and uh, Kamen Rider Dragon Knight, um, both of which are interesting, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is which is all I will say about them. It is odd that like it didn't strike because like Kamen Rider looks cool and has a motorcycle, which is inherently cool, and you would think that it would be, frankly, like a, a fucking softball. <laughs> yeah, just do it the way everyone else has like. It's like uh, making a pizza. You don't need to revolutionize a pizza. Just make a pizza. Um, and the two times that they've tried to bring Kamen Rider to the West is like, how do we make this pizza more American? Just make a fucking pizza. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think um, people people just want to see a dude in a cool costume ride a cool motorcycle and beat up a fucking monster. Like, you've got a good number of parts there. Just, you don't have to fuck with that too much. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just write a character um, people can care about. That's all you got to do. Yeah. So, like, part of the reason why, like, one of the things that I will um, say I adore this movie for first and foremost, even though, again, I don't think that it was something Anno cared about when he made it, mm-hmm. is that it is such an intensely kick-ass movie um, that I do hope that it becomes the thing that pressures a whole lot more uh, of the American audience to lean on a Toei company to actually make more tokusatsu available in the West. Mm -hmm. Because right now, even though a lot more is being available for the United States in particular, which is uh, a particular sticking point for the rest of the international audience, um, there is still more that can be done. Um, There's an entire video on YouTube um, uh, from a channel called Markusatsu all about the distribution problems um, inherent to trying to bring uh, most mainstream tokusatsu um, international. Um, that is also worth watching. As an aside, if you're already into the, into the scene and want to know why it's so hard for you to just find the thing that you want to watch without committing a crime. Um, so I hope that the popularity of this movie pressures Toei to go, well, people want to see more Kamen Rider, so let's just give it to them raw. Yeah. Um, because it is actually a very kick-ass franchise. Does Toei also own Ultraman? No. Um, okay. Toei, uh, Toei does uh, Kamen Rider and Super Sentai 
uh, Tsuburaya does Ultraman. Okay. And has actually been very good about making those things available online. Like, on, mm-hmm. they have a YouTube channel that just allows you to just watch all of Ultraman ever uh, if you wanted to. You just could you could just do that. Okay. Um, it's not perfect, but it's better than what Toei is doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, Toei is, like, notorious for being big buttholes about fucking releasing their shit. Mm-hmm. Ask anybody who watches any Toei anime. Mm-hmm. If you're a fan of Dragon Ball, you know, you know, you know exactly how hard it is to get Toei to actually believe that you are invested in their thing. And yet we are here invested. Yeah. And I was looking at like I was trying to suss out budgets because like um the last sort of big I um cause did Shin Ultraman get a theatrical re- is it a movie? It's a movie, right? Shin Ultraman. Yeah, Shin Ultraman is also a movie. Um, uh, produced by Anno, but yeah, uh, I don't think Anno directed it. Yeah, it was directed by Shinji uh, Juki. I don't know quite how to pronounce that last, but um, but yeah, it was written by Anno. I'm trying to like, I'm trying to suss out. So yeah, it's very, it's very. Right, let me yes. tell you, it's very telling, like. Toei being a lot more, like, having a ha- lot harder grip. Now, given this is all that, you know, also, like, Shin Kamen Rider has been out less, but, like, so Shin Ultraman had a box office of $35 million on a budget of mm. whatever uh, 900 million. million yen is. I don't know how to, like, I, I, I'm not going to sit down and do the math right now, but... Yeah. Uh, it would be roughly like six point three million US. Yeah, so that's a fucking phenomenal return. Um, yeah, and then Shin Godzilla did seventy eight million on a budget of fifteen million. Now, now, given Shin Godzilla, also I feel like of these of the three Shin movies had the widest release because like Toho mm-hmm. makes movies and they understand how fucking movies work. <laughs> Yeah, and also everyone knows Godzilla. Yeah. Godzilla has, like, Toho has no problem shipping Godzilla to the West. Yeah. Uh, so everyone was already familiar with it and got in on that. And I, I feel like a lot of the secondary uh, effect, a lot of why I think um, Shin Ultraman and Shin Kamen Rider did well as well, is simply a lot of people either going, this Godzilla movie is really good, or wait, what are these two other things? Yeah. Or going, uh, Hideaki Anno made a really kick-ass Godzilla movie. Wait, is he working on two more? I want to see those. Mm-hmm. Without knowing anything about Ultraman or Kamen Rider yeah. before that point. And it, it was helpful that, like, I I can't imagine that it also wasn't, if he was planning to do this, it wasn't part of the strategy to use the most widely, like, worldwide known property that he could have, like, could have directed initially. I mean, in giving, like... <clears throat> Shin Godzilla, Shin Ultra, I haven't seen Shin Ultraman, but Shin Kamen Rider and Shin Godzilla are both, like, unopilled as a motherfucker. (laughs) Um, Because, like, Shin Godzilla is just, like, Anno being, like, government bureaucracy, like, his his grievances with, like, government bureaucracies and, like, um, people, like, having to deal with, like, natural disasters and how government bureaucracies break down in the face of, like, crisis and everything like that. Um, and then, uh, then Shin Kamen Rider is like, everybody get in the soup. It's like, we're the, we're hitting all the high, the, the, the hits with Anno. <laughs> yeah. 
there are things that Anno cares about very deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually very interesting because while I do notice those things, a lot of the discussion that like I've had because um, for the listener, mm-hmm. I am the co-host of a podcast called Righteous Kicks uh, with a good friend of mine named Iori Kusano, uh, who lives and works in Japan and saw uh, Shin Kamen Rider uh, a couple of months after its premiere. Um, and uh, when I saw it, we had a very deep conversation about whether Anno actually pulled his punches with this movie in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, because a great deal of the heavy conversation about Evangelion is that... Anno speaks very confidently in interviews and um, has written in a lot of media as well how much the Evangelion anime is strongly uh, strongly influenced by being in production at the exact same time that Aum Shinrikyo um, uh, performed the siren gas attack in the Tokyo subway. And the fact that um, a lot of the themes of Evangelion um, that are connected to instrumentality, the idea of um, our personal perception versus our fears of uh, being perceived by others, um, the difficulty it is to relate to other people or find purpose in life, um, and whether those things would be able to um, be restored or rectified by... Uh, some kind of spiritual oneness and whether that is actually a good or bad idea are all shaped by its relationship to Aum Shinrikyo and its actions. Um, so when initial promo came out for uh, Shin Kamen Rider and focused a lot on Shaka and let people know in particular what the new acronym means because in the original Shaka doesn't stand for anything. No. Shaka is Shaka. It sounds evil. They're, That's they're, what it is. They're vaguely Nazi-coded bad guys. <laughs> vaguely? Episode <laughs> like five or six they literally dig up a sarcophagus covered in swastikas. Oh, okay. My um, bad. No, yeah, they're just the Nazis. The The first frame of the introduction of Shaka is a metaphorical image of a black-gloved hand pouring blood over a globe. <laughs> All you need to know about Shaka is Shaka is evil. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the reframing in this movie um, about it being concerned with human happiness immediately struck people as, oh, we're going to have a more intense cult conversation now because this is coming out in the exact same year as uh, Happy Science. Um, It's releasing the year that um, the president of the Prime Minister of Japan gets done with the doohickey because (laughs) um, uh, another religious organization is so powerful in that region that it is capable of conning people out of their mortgages in order to gain more literally billions of dollars Yeah. yeah so everybody was like okay cool we're really gonna just have the have the cult conversation on its face and i feel like while the movie obviously does care about those things in very Anno ways, um, I feel like 
not having the conversation about what happiness would actually mean on that global scale. I feel like just throwing it away as um, the guy who started Shaka trusted this robot and then killed himself um, doesn't really give us an opportunity to dig very deeply into mm-hmm. what the consequences of actually doing the thing that that person thought he was trying to do would be. Um, and I feel like the only real member of Shaka that still kind of touches on that in a thematic sense is um, uh, Waspog. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we actually see that uh, she has a kind of control over thousands of people, many of whom admit that they are not under mind control. They are just, they just personally do yeah. gain a kind of enjoyment, a kind of fulfillment from giving their lives to her. Um, but we never like actually wrestle with what that means or what that implies or what we could learn about wrestling with this very intense image from a real-world perspective, it just kind of becomes comically evil. Mm-hmm. And I get it, because Shaka, they're comically evil in the original. But it would have been nice to have that room, knowing that Anno is here. Right. So let's let's do this one hour into recording. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay. Let's... Did we... How did everybody, like, did everybody enjoy the movie? Like, outside of, like, heavy thematic, like, uh, criticism and everything like that, did you dig, did you dig the whole deal? I mean, it sounds like uh, Brandon did. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was wild as, there is a thing that I want to talk about, what I enjoyed in particular, but we're going to get, we're going to get to that point when we talk visuals very soon. Uh, August, what was your, like, did, did you have a good time with it yeah i had a great time um i mean i'm not gonna say that i didn't have some issues with it Mm -hmm. just coming at it from uh my perspective of not being familiar with the og common writer and you know coming in blind i think gave me a a bit of a different perspective on it but overall it was a really great time i had a lot of fun with it i definitely enjoyed watching it um yeah yeah i also had like a good time like i distinctly like the opening sequence hit and i was like this is fucking cool like <laughs> uh-huh. yeah the I guess like what the, was the actual cool? What was the actual first cool moment for? He you? just like when he stands up on that me. fucking cliff. He like the the very subtle redesign of the OG costume, but with the coat, he just looks badass. Yeah, yeah. You're like this. I dude love is that moment cool. also because, <laughs> like, I love that moment also because um, as someone who's watched the original, um, that like. Thing that plays when the camera pans up to the cliff to, to catch the camera, that's from the original. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a recreation of that sound. That's the sound that plays in the original series. And I was like, yes! <laughs> you you did this for us, the nerds. Anno always comes through for the nerds. Well, it definitely... You can definitely tell when he's like... So, I guess, like, to segue into visuals and and everything like that, like... The um, 
like you can tell that Anno, Anno's intent here was he intended to make a motherfucking common rider. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, I was reading some like stuff about production. Like a lot of this film is shot on consumer grade cameras. Yeah. I imagine specifically to get like to give it that look like the I know, you know, in theory, he could have like I know some of the CGI is ropey, but I think some of it is intentionally ropey. Like there are obviously parts where they're making weird stylistic choices with the CGI. I also know like a lot of Japanese movies have just like a different approach to CGI <laughs> than what we do. Um, mm-hmm. But uh the, the fact that, like, he intended, like, with the consumer great cameras, that there's a lot, there's a lot of just, like, very, not hokey, but, like, movie-ass fucking practical effects. Budget, like, doing a lot with a budget that he could have done, like, you know, he could have done other shit, right? He could have made it look more modern and chose not to and uh i think the movie is better for it yeah i'm inclined to agree mm-hmm. um so my two things are one to speak to the fact that he's very obviously trying to make tokusatsu mm-hmm. is um in that first sequence when um Takeshi and uh, Ruriko are riding out, uh, being uh, chased by these two uh, trucks, and they um, like firebomb the two trucks and they fall off the uh, edge of the road. That's practical effects. That's just two toy trucks falling off a miniature cliff. Yeah, it, it is the um, the thing that's actually most jarring about that is the like the scene where the trucks do switch to CGI trucks. <laughs> Cuz I'm like this looks really I'm like oh this is great that like that, like cuz you know it's a really well shot miniature like fall and then they do kind of a weird bounce and I'm like oh okay there we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, like, that takes a kind of attention, like, um, one of the, um, interesting tidbits of production, um, is that he would have been working on the Shin movies, uh, he would have, if, if, if I'm not mistaken, um, Shin Ultraman would have just been in pre-production around the exact same time that he did the last Rebuild movie, Mm -hmm. um, which is why that whole fight, um, Briefly, that that fight in that last rebuild movie between Shinji uh, and um, his father briefly cuts to them standing in a soundstage because he was literally in Toei uh, Tokusatsu soundstages throughout the production of both of those movies doing Shin Godzilla and Shin Kamen Rider uh, pre-production and discussion and just settled on how interesting it would be for to use the thematic image of, hey, this thing is not real. Um, Dear listener, August and I will eventually right. watch the, the last Rebuild movie. We swear it will happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I have so many... I, have, I could be here to talk about we, that movie as well. It is um, cursed, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, the other thing... 
uh, that I think is really interesting, and this is this is a thing that you either need to watch a lot of Tokusatsu or watch a lot of Anno's work to um, actually see, which is Anno has been wanting to make films look like anime mm-hmm. for ages. Um, in 2004, he directed an adaptation, a uh, film adaptation of Cutie Honey. Um, that if you watch the tra- if you watch it or watch the trailer for it. There are lots of shots of him recreating um, movement from Gonagai's original anime adaptation, uh, anime uh, release of that series. Like, he wants to make bodies move the way bodies move in anime, which is very hard, obviously. Yeah. Um, but one of the interesting things is, I think, when you watch a lot of the movement in Shin Kamen Rider through that lens, it is actually beautiful. Um, somebody, I think it was Kotaku, wrote an entire article when it came out in the US about how the Wasp Og fight is the best version of super speed movement CGI in any film or television mm-hmm. show that has ever... And I, I, I like it, and I agree with that. It is a very well shot... Um, part of the movie but i wish more people would just talk about the fight between takashi and ichimonji because when they flip into the air oh and then keep flipping yeah i love that like, where they're just anime like it where they're making a very purposeful thing of like functional like he is reusing footage but not for budgetary purposes but to invoke the idea of reused action footage yeah, and also to, in, to to invoke the weight of movement that we assume in animation that is impossible um, in live action. Like when Ichimonji kicks uh, Takeshi and breaks his knee, <laughs> you see him bounce in the air. They're both falling. That's not supposed to happen. <laughs> but we're supposed to, we see it because we believe, oh, he really got kicked there. Um and that works, and like a lot of the movie is like that, and I love it. And I want to see more people do stuff like that in live action, uh, like prey on the assumptions of, that we make about anime in order to make action more physically visceral in ways that we will automatically translate in our brain because anime has taught us to do that. It just looks so kick-ass. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely agree there. And I think the anime sensibilities make the immersion deeper. Like they're, they're well used because like I have a little bit of a background with toku stuff and, and sometimes toku action stuff looks really cheesy and really hokey, but because of the, pulling in the anime sensibilities made what should have been cheesy into something that was just a feast. Mm-hmm. Especially considering the fr- the framing of some of the action is already very cheesy. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. being ganged up by the other grasshopper orgs or in another live action show would seem very silly. I, I mean, oh, yeah. it also like really leans into the like, we're going to have like, oh no, the bad guy is here. Like 
hard cut to an entirely different location where we have the permit for shooting. <laughs> like, oh no, yeah, that's my favorite Toku thing. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, we fight. We announce the fight here because that's where the action was naturally progressing, and then we jump to the quarry where we're gonna actually have the fight. The quarry. It only happens in the one quarry. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, a lot of the sets for these fights were actually very well picked for their uh, background visuals. Like the the train tracks that we see a fight and a half in, um, and that large like factory space um, mm-hmm. where we see most of the like really visually intense fights happen are very good settings for those fights um, because they're actually very busy, but they're shot in ways that don't make the background take up a lot of space. It's just good dressing for all of the action. It's really cool. Yeah, they like... They're, like, like I was saying earlier, like they're just the level of extreme intentionality with, like, there's not a... Like every frame feels like a decision was made about it, like to yeah. to to push along, maybe not necessarily the story, but like to push along a feel because like this is like like there's a story here very much so. But it's also like it feels a lot more like just a vibe piece uh, to me, mm-hmm. like especially because like it is very. Vibes. Yeah, it's a very vibes based movie. Uh, especially because they show up and they're just like, Bat Og is here, and you're like, oh, cool. They're like, now we're going to fight Scorpion Og. And we're like, oh, what's her deal? We don't know. Fuck you. She got killed by some dudes off screen. <laughs> yeah, I will. So I, I I say this kindly because I don't want this to sound like uh, I'm ragging on the movie out of nowhere, mm-hmm. but I will actually say that the Scorpion Og fight is... The the fight that I enjoy the least in this movie. Yeah. Um, not least of which because it doesn't actually have our boy Takeshi Hongo yeah. in it. Uh, and uh, the villain just gets gunned down by the police, a framing that I already do not enjoy in most Kamen Rider media. Um, but to put, to put it mildly, the Scorpion Og fight is a part of the movie where I would insist that no one is allowed to close their eyes or walk away. (laughs) Because if you only listen to it, it becomes bad. And in fact, I feel like all of that was done on purpose um, for the obvious reasons that we do, that we portray women in media um, since the dawn of time. In a way, that sucks for me because it's the only time it happens has no bearing on plot whatsoever except for a uh, a Chekhov's gun that we do- did not know was being loaded at the time um, and only and therefore leaves Scorpion Og only present in the movie for five minutes. Mm-hmm. If we if you just did, if you didn't have that fight there, if you removed that fight and made the KK Og fight longer, the movie would be better. And I say that already enjoying the movie. Yeah. Because, like, I feel like they could have, if they just wanted to, like, have a bullet what kill, like, because, like, the bullet what kills Oggs literally never comes up ever again. Yeah. 
They're like, we need this thing to defeat the wasp org because she's too fast. Yeah. You couldn't solve the speed problem first. Also, you just discovered you just discovered poison, but you made one bullet, the yeah. one, the one poison bullet. And then later in the same yeah. movie, like one of the grasshopper ogs, like is gonna kill Common Rider with just a regular gun. Just enough bullets will do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, just all of the bullets, yeah. every bullet, all bullets, all the time. Yeah, I. So I feel like the scorpion og fight goes back to a a gripe that I have with Anno where I can't tell if his fan service is just gross or if it's meant to evoke the grossness, like the gross feeling. Because um, that's happened in uh, several pieces of his work where I just like am baffled by his fan service. And, you know, let's, let's not mince words. The Scorpion Og fight is fan service. Like... Yeah, you know, I am not immune to to sexy ladies killing people sexily. Like you know, it's it's fan service, but mm-hmm. you know the 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 way that it gets framed, it makes it kind of gross. the 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 movie definitely suffers for having having that in it. Like you said, putting putting those extra minutes to the KK Og fight would have made it better because it wouldn't have had this bit dragging it down and the KK Og fight was really fucking cool. Yeah. Um, um it's interesting that you um mention Anno's propensity for fan service because Anno was one uh, Anno is very weird as a writer and director in that um the thing that I think I liked about Evangelion for all of the weirdness that is in Evangelion, is that um, maybe because it's Evangelion, things that would be overtly fan service that in a vacuum you'd be like, I am not immune. I am not immune to propaganda. I know what is happening here, and a uh, uh, neuron neuron activation occurs. <laughs> um, obviously, takes place in Evangelion in a in a frame that either. Um, narratively defines its need or becomes less titillating because of its framing. Um, I think of that scene from that one movie where uh, uh, Shinji uh, walks in on uh, Asuka um, unconscious on a bed and does the weirdest, creepiest thing that a teenage boy can do. And you're like, ooh, look, Asuka... Uh, is lying on this bed. This is supposed to be titillating. Instead, I'm disgusted. Um, and I would have much preferred something more meaningful happened in this moment. Because again, it's just a fight. Um, Scorpion Og doesn't have to die moaning. She does not have to. If you wanted to just make a sexy woman kill people sexually, you could have done that. Yeah. Everything else just feels weird. Yeah. And it also feels like it doesn't mean anything. It feels like it was there because we needed to do a pretty thing somewhere. It feels like the kind like I I'm gonna judge Anna for it because Anna wrote the movie, but it feels like the kind of thing somebody made him do. <laughs> yeah, and I mean I don't know. I I have issues with this film's treatment of, of its ladies in general, but 
yeah, the scorpion og fight was just so egregious. Yeah, I'm curious what your thoughts were about. Um, I don't know how else to frame it other than Ruriko's tantrum uh, in the safe house um, after they defeat. Uh, I think this was immediately after the bat og fight. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's yeah. <sighs> Honestly, I felt like. No, that was Roriko's. I believe Roriko doesn't Roriko's tantrum about like. I thought him being smelly, Roriko's tantrum, all that sh- stuff happens after the Waspog fight. Um, I don't think so because I think I so. Yes, I know it precedes. I I know it precedes her death, but I couldn't remember how. Yeah, if it was it's after Waspog, because that's was. why that's why I felt like it made more sense. I, because she. So my yeah. thing is, because because here's my thing. Um, when it happens, I actually had a lot of grace for it when that scene starts. Um, Ruiko is a very complicated um series in the movie. Um, more so than she is in the series, which I thought was a, a, a very interesting radical departure. Because in the series, um, she's not a scientist and does not know what her father is doing. Um, sees a man in a helmet kill her father. Well, see her. she sees her father die in the presence of a man with a helmet. Assumes that man with a helmet or Kamen uh, Rider hero uh, is the person that killed her father. And then proceeds to have very intense feelings about it for several episodes until she learns the truth. Which is high drama in the series for all kinds of reasons um, that they hint at in um, the movie, um, but is totally reframed because she is now a character with narrative agency in the movie. Um, I don't... But I don't know that she has narrative agency. Well... Because that's the weird thing, right? You'd imagine that making her a researcher, making her, like, actively state that her intention is to, de- to defeat Shaka would be agency. And there's only one real moment when I would say that she actually engages proactively. Um, and it's the one that would be the, the most difficult to argue, which is when she goes to confront Bat-Og herself becomes unconscious and then reveals she wasn't unconscious the entire time. Yeah. yeah. All that time you could have been shot dead. Why did you do this? Why was this your solution to this problem? Um, but I still like that because at least she still acted and proved that she had the presence of Prana to not be uh, mentally overtaken by Bat Og, which is cool. Yeah. And... I, I wanted to have grace for that tantrum for the exact same reasons. That this is an adult woman. She's allowed to feel the things that she feels. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Takeshi does, in fact, smell. He only has one, yeah. one article of clothing <laughs> in this entire house. I would also yeah. like to know, I don't know where to put it otherwise, but the guy that they cast, cast as Takeshi, they maybe found the saddest looking dude 
in all of Japan to be Takeshi. <laughs> he just looks sad yeah. <laughs> from moment one. I, <laughs> I so I so I love this in particular as mm-hmm. well. Like you have you have seen the face of the guy who has played Kamen Rider in the original series yeah. at some point before. If you've ever seen an ad uh, for Sega starting starring. Uh, Sega uh, Sanjiro, you know what um, the original Kamen Rider actor's face looks Mm -hmm. like. He looks like a hero. He looks rugged. He looks buff. He looks commanding. He he was probably the heartthrob of Japan in the 80s. This guy looks like he doesn't want to be here all the time and is making the best with the situation that he's been given. And I like that. I like that he knows that this sucks. Yep. He's got a face that so, he's got a face that says somebody just told him that his like favorite menu item at McDonald's has been like taken off the menu every moment and like every moment before the camera starts rolling. <laughs> yeah. So real mm-hmm. quick, I I do want to go back to talking about Ruriko yeah. before we go on too much oh, further yes. about Takeshi mm-hmm. because you're right. He he does look like his favorite menu item. This this is a man who is eternally one day short of uh being able to order a McRib. <laughs> um <laughs> but uh I I feel like they went maybe too much in the opposite direction. Like they the the tendency to go from like wavering waif to a super hyper confident lady character is in its own ways frustrating. Mm -hmm. And her outburst I feel like was earned uh, and went a long way to making me like her because that gave her some depth. Um, (laughs) My but I really like my real problem with it is like she's supposed to be hyper competent in like 90 percent of the movie. She spends just being the damsel in distress anyways. That's that's why yeah. that's why going that that direction in these types of situations is so damn frustrating mm-hmm. because like. Outside of like we were talking about the bad dog fight where, you know, she Uno reversed him uh it was so frustrating, especially like no, no shade to Takeshi, but he's like not, he doesn't hold a candle to her when it comes to competence. And so, yeah. you know, it was, it was a little frustrating that, you know, and this, I mean, you see this in uh, a lot of Toku shows where you'll have a, a secondary character who is supposed to be competent. And then the, the one of the main characters is less competent. Who's constantly coming to their rescue. And it's, you know, kind of a pitfall of the genre, but that doesn't mean that I'm not frustrated by Mm -hmm. it. Um, And like, the thing is you could have solved this by just like, she doesn't have to like, I understand the, the title card on the movie says Shin Kamen Rider, right? Like Kamen Rider is our hero. But, like, to prove her competent, like, her getting all the way up to Bat-Og and then intentionally getting infected is one thing. If she had used that to, like, just, like, maybe he's, like, Bat-Og is menacing Kamen Rider and she just fucking ices him. Because she's been playing him the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, something like that. Like, what she was doing was she was feigning 
Because, like, why did she have a second fucking gun? Like, she pulls it out and she shoots him in the wing. But, like, it would have been nice if the second gun had been, like, Bat Og comes up and he's all, like, weird and sciency and, like, Common Rider's face. And she just uses the, like, she creates the opportunity to be able to get in the one good shot, right? Because she knows she can't fight him straight up. It, you know, mm. like, she defeats one of the Augs. Like that would have because like obviously yeah. that shotgun did something. It blew even though even though guns aren't supposed to hurt anyways. <laughs> uh, but it's fine. I don't care. I don't know. Yeah. I, but they could have just done something just, like that where she is the thing that puts him down and it's like, oh, OK, yeah. All right. We got this. She just, you know, she's competent and she can find her own way. And then it helps reframe some other shit, you know? Yeah, and I'm just, I'm so sad about how she died. Like, that was just a chump way to die. You know, she couldn't even get, uh, you know, get a a heroic death or anything like that. She just got stabbed in the back and then bleeds out. And it's like, man, this, this really sucks. I mean, it does suck. Um... I will say, like, on a narrative level, I get it, but uh, much to, like, Brian's point, like, I don't need, I don't need competence to mean um, this person does the thing or is the only person who can do the thing, but it can mean this person knows enough or is always thoughtful enough or deliberate enough that even when things go wrong, they make an active decision. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I get that this story also goes out of its way to let Ruriko say aloud, I guess I wasn't prepared for this thing after she's been saying that she's always prepared all the time. Because she probably didn't even know that KK existed because nobody else yeah. did. Um, but it kind of sucks that at least she didn't even get the opportunity to turn her death into an opportunity for someone else to um, actively... Like, it would have been cool just to go... Um, I am being stabbed by someone that is invisible. I am going to put my blood on this person so we can see them. Yeah. And that's how we identify KK. Yeah. Um, otherwise she just kind of dies in a puddle while, um, Takeshi is crawling on his one good leg to get back to her. And that is obviously very emotive. It hurt me to see it. But like, there are other decisions that you could have made um, that would have still been as um, emotionally dramatic, but at least give her more opportunities to actively directly engage with yeah. the plot. Because other than yeah. that, she's really just an encyclopedia for Takeshi for most of the movie. Yeah, and I mean, I had I had similar complaints about, as much as I love Kamen Rider Double, I had similar complaints about how uh, the main, uh, the main girl got treated by the narrative. Um, but yeah, it's, it's frustrating. It, I don't know. Like, no, yeah, I I feel you. Um, I feel it's, (laughs) it's, it's it's a thing like Scorpion Og that just drags the you know the movie down. It doesn't stop me from enjoying it. Like I said, I had a great time. I I really 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 enjoyed watching this film, but 
that just makes the frustrating points stand out more because so much of the rest of the film around these points is so great. Yeah. And the other thing is when it stumbles, we also know that they can write good scenes for it because the entire wasp like aug section of the movie exists. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we know that we can, that um, Anno can write competency because he's, Constantly concerned with letting us know what uh, Ruriko knows and how she knows those mm-hmm. things. We could just show her doing things. And just, it's like, it, yeah. especially if they had just like, I also feel like maybe they should have foreshadowed KK Og at all. It's like, oh, this guy can just be invisible, huh? Okay, cool. Like... <laughs> So on the one hand, I do feel you, but on the other hand, it is very tokusatsu for uh, for them to just reveal, oh yeah, somebody else, there is your next challenger. Yeah. And then you just, it just happens. Um, is very powerful because for tokusatsu as well. Well, it, that uh, I would mean, be... the original Kamen Rider is a, is a Monster of the Week series. And I feel like that was the thing that, which is ultimately the thing that I think brings the movie down the most, which is, I think that this should have been a miniseries instead. Mm-hmm. I yeah. would have loved to have watched yeah. a six episode version of this where like every episode we get like an aug basically. Yes. Yeah. 100%. I think that's, that's the uh, one of the other places that I feel like it fell down a little bit because it was, it couldn't quite decide whether it wanted to be episodic or whether it wanted to be a movie. And I think if it had nudged into either direction it would have been even better Mm -hmm. like as a movie like each of the acts is very disconnected from the other ones and that is very clearly a callback to like the monster of the week episodic format of the original common writer which is fine but if they'd smoothed out some of those edges and made it a little more cohesive it could have been more effective or if they'd somehow let Anno get a six episode miniseries that would have been fantastic too yeah because i like yeah especially in the like it's weird how like in the era of the marvel and Star Wars series that still other productions aren't doing the thing. And and frankly, a better, like, for things that would be better (laughs) as not movies. You know what I mean? Because I I literally just thought this, like, when I saw the the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, I was like, this was really fun. I would prefer to watch this as a television series. Now, given... um, I don't know if you could produce the same level of art in a weekly television series in the same way that like that thing can. But like as like a, a like a, a focused miniseries like for this, they could easily knock this like probably with a very similar budget. Um, do like a, you know, a six to eight episode miniseries. Um. And I think would benefit it more because, again, it's the format that the thing was born to be in. You he Ono is kind of square peg round holing common writer like format wise into a movie. 
and when you say that, it actually becomes even more interesting because uh, the announcement for this uh, movie um, took place at the 50th anniversary Kamen Rider event on um, April 3rd, 2021, mm-hmm. um, and was announced alongside Kamen Rider Black Sun. <laughs> so both of those things were in production. I mean, obviously, Anno was also pigeonholing himself because he had already just... Go, uh, Shin Godzilla would have already come out, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, at that point. And Shin Ultraman was um, still deep in production at that point. Um, or at least supposed to come out in the next several mm-hmm. months. Plus um, rebuild. So he could have... Yeah, so he could have already just kind of uh, talked himself into the idea that it had to be a movie because Shin... Um, but there is no reason why it couldn't have just been six to eight episodes like Black Sun was um, and would have given him all kinds of room to do all kinds of narrative stuff uh, if he was willing to willing to dive into those yeah. things. Because, like, we know he can do, like, a, like because it does feel like it's a thing that's trying to be, it, it's trying to fit a format that it's not necessarily, like, comfortable being in. Like, and I think part of that is, like, an intentional, like, direct, like, I think part of that is part of the fun of the movie of being, like, this motherfucker is just going for a vision, right? But. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like. And it works for Anno as well. Anno is very good at making movies just do the thing at top speed. The, like, because he, you know. Look at the first two rebuild movies. That th- those sons of bitches are just speed running. <laughs> Evangelion yeah. just as fast as they possibly can. The, just the first, just the first rebuild of Evangelion is. How, what if we did the first quote, the first like one third of the original Evangelion series? Uh, at 50 times <laughs> yeah. speed and see what yep. uh, what emerges in, <laughs> the, in the end of that. Yep. Uh, until we get to the sniper rifle fight and then we're going back, we're setting it back to one. Like, <laughs> we know where the bread and butter is in yeah. this particular set of episodes. <laughs> and they're mm-hmm. right because it, Which is why it whips ass. It's still the best thing in anime. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I want to be clear for listeners mm-hmm. of this. We are having this critique while still saying we dug yeah. the movie. The movie is good. Yeah, move- the movie is kick-ass. You should watch the movie. Like, We're just yes. saying, knowing mm-hmm. Anno, he could have made much more money and d- done a lot more cool things if he just split that into like maybe even three or four one-hour yeah, things. Instead of making it a one-and-a-half-hour Because it's very odd. Like, if a director... Like, so it's it's very odd... The because like he has a lot of obvious creative control going on, right? But like Ano is a director who is like much more like very specific and vision focused, a la like a like a Nolan or a Tarantino or something like that to like equate them to like Western directors, right? Like he's a guy who has very specific visions and is very meticulous about the things that he produces. And, like, those those guys in the West, they produce, like, artistic, like, m- movies that have, like, high artistic merit and do well at the box office, but not to the level that Anno has done with the things that he has created. Like, Anno, I, it's kind of hard to understand the West, but, like, 
Evangelion is a multi-billion dollar franchise. Mm -hmm. And it's wild that, like, he doesn't just... People don't just write him checks for fucking any... Like, anything he wants to do, you know what I mean? So maybe he, like, you know, it's probably he wanted to make a movie. Anno likes making movies. Like, he is a... I do think that a lot of it is that. I think that he is... Not necessarily comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. I do know that he's spoken a lot about, um, or at least spoken on the one instance about uh, how hard it is to make television in particular. Yeah. Um, uh, so I do feel like movies are a place where his work is easiest, or he feels like his vision is closest. Mm-hmm. But even then, that doesn't like the limitation of time is not a thing that will stop us from watching a thing that he's yeah. made. Um, if, if he wanted to make a three-hour movie, we'd watch it. I mean, this motherfucker was two hours. We've it's watched like, worst three-hour... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, like, if they had a Shin Kamen Rider, like, probably they would name it Shin Kamen Rider number two plus one, <laughs> uh, knowing them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um... I mean, I feel like that was a deliberate reference, yeah. by the way. <laughs> it's like, it definitely felt like them take like taking the piss out of his own shit for a little bit. Um, but like, if they did, mm-hmm. I would also watch the sequel because I would be. I'm like, cool. I want to see uh, Ichimori Ichimanji like uh, fist fight a robot. That would be cool. I would. I kept looking at that robot. Like, I wonder what that robot do. Nothing actually. Yeah. <laughs> what that robot yeah. do? Be sad. <laughs> Be yeah. sad. That's what that robot do. No, i i would I would totally watch another movie of Ichimanji with with brain mm-hmm. brain Takeshi uh, going about doing superhero things. Because also, like, I like I the, immediately when when uh, Ichimanji hits the screen, you're like, this dude is cool. Like he's cool in the ways that like uh, Takeshi uh, is, is sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, which is another like interesting departure from the original series. Um, how we meet uh, Ichimanji in the original series is the actor that played uh, Takeshi uh, sprained his leg during a stunt and needed to be off for some <laughs> weeks. Uh, so, intru- so they introduced a new character and his story was um, Ruriko and uh, Takeshi went out into Latin America to... Uh, to foil some of Shaka's other international plans. Met another guy somehow also being brainwashed and uh, saved and rescued him just like Takeshi had been rescued. And he decided he would do the exact same thing. So he came back to Japan to uh, cover ground for Takeshi while he was gone. Um, but he's still the exact same cool that he is in the movie. Um, and I feel like uh, it... I feel like it would. It was interesting that the movie decided instead to show the moment that uh, Ichimonji is actually redeemed, and then have them act together, and then decide that Takeshi dies at yeah. the end. Because they um, had great in an attempt to capture that same. The moment. two actors had really good chemistry together. Like they felt yeah. fun. Especially because they're in two different Yeah, moods. it's good. Every, everybody loves a fucking uh, odd couple, frankly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I like I I dug it a lot, and I kind of wished. I mean, again, um, I feel like Anno made that decision for a reason because ultimately all of that fight culminates with uh, Ruriko's uh, final statement to his brother, and I think that all of that is very cool. But it's very interesting that he made that decision that it meant that Kamen Rider needed to die. Also on a franchise level, because it means that you, uh, Toei trusted him with the story of elevating the original Kamen Rider series for a new audience. And Anno's decision was, what if we just killed the guy at the end? What if Kamen Rider is not all powerful and he dies at the end? In the franchise... Kamen Rider is still alive. The Kamen Rider Ichigo is still right. alive. He has come back. Like in the, in and the, also in the in the in the TV franchise, he's been back in movies at least twice. And then we meet like a like a future version of his son or some bullshit like that in another movie, and he becomes Kamen Rider Ichigo. Kamen Rider Ichigo never dies in the in the franchise. The and Anna was like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, it's also very funny that the original, com- as the original Common Rider guy comes back to be Common Rider, he's not like, so he, like, he's pretty, like, uh, like, uh, I guess, like, life, like, not, he's so much bigger. <laughs> like, not in, like, a out of shape way, just stacked like a motherfucker as he gets older. Like, dude gets wide, built like a fucking refrigerator. Uh, and then when they put the Common Rider armor on him, he looks like a brick shit house. And it's like, oh my god, <laughs> this is the scariest Common Rider. Because <laughs> it just looks like a regular a Common Rider who can just beat me up. <laughs> like, he doesn't need his powers, he can just beat me up. <laughs> Probably because he can beat me up. Like, I listen. Mean, <laughs> I mean, um, uh, he- uh, Hiroshi Fujioka is 77 and can probably still Yeah, he can it. probably whip my ass. He look like he definitely has like big murder grandpa energy. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Well we've been recording for nearly two hours. <laughs> I there is still a lot that can be said. True. <laughs> this is a good like I, I guess to like recollect the thoughts and everything, like really good, fun, in, like movie with like a lot of like interesting artistic intentionality, like has a lot of the problems that like the it unfortunately cannot escape quite the like gravitational pull that are, are the like problems that are inherent in the genre that it takes on to begin with. It feels like. Like, it tries to, but, you know, it fails its female characters as toku shows have a tendency to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I can definitely say that I recommend this movie to just about yeah. anyone um, with the caveat that, you know, you've got to be prepared for it to hit the ground running and not yeah. stop. And, you know, you've got to be aware of the kind of episodic nature of the different acts within it, um, because those are two things that I think could potentially throw a new viewer off. If you're expecting a superhero movie in the vein of like a Western superhero movie, you will not be able to keep up with this son of a bitch. Yeah, but final, you know, overall thoughts are this is really great. It was really fun. You know, 
highly recommend it to anybody with a you know even a passing interest in toku like if you enjoyed two episodes of power rangers as a kid you'll fucking love this and also some of the coolest fucking visuals just there is not there is no cooler movie shit than like the upward angle of of common writer in just kind of a longer coat it turns out if you just put anyone in a trench coat they're, they're automatically 100 percent cooler <laughs> yeah yeah this is kind of true um i think my final thoughts are one watch any common writer you can get your hands on first and foremost um i'm just an advocate for the franchise as a whole start where you start Figure figure your way out into something that you will enjoy. There is enough Kamen Rider for everybody. But for this movie in particular, if you like some of those um, long, uh, settled, stationary shots in Evangelion where you can hear cicadas over the sunset of an uninterrupted shot of like a bridge or uh, a, a stretch of train tracks... Um, or if you like watching people move in ways that humans don't move during a fight, um, there will be enough in this movie for you to enjoy. It is a movie that is moving at top. This speed. is a movie that like, uh, this it, is like the theatrical adaptation of a decisive battle. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, this is what the decisive what if decide? What if you listen to a decisive battle on loop for uh, for an hour and twenty one minutes? Um, yeah, and it will not stop. It does not stop for fridge logic. So don't apply any. Just let it wash over you, and you will enjoy the things that you see. And even the critiques that we have, those are critiques of the franchise um, or of media as a whole. Um, and it is not a problem for me to say you will still be able to enjoy it despite the fact that it is still not perfect in the way that all media is perfect but it is very anno and it is still very common rider and if you don't know anything about either of those things this is why that's the first thing you should watch rather than evangelion God. rather than the original series watch this first God. yeah like this the the shin movie is a lot better introduction to like anno's mindset than frankly especially the rebuild movies yeah I mean, again the rebuild movies are oh, yeah. very good you will need like a sociology textbook to to actually get through those. I don't know though. Like maybe this is me showing my age, but if you want if you want to start with like a really softball Ano work, Nadia: The Secret of Blue Water is that was hey. actually my first Ano Ano work. That one work. is good. That was that that is good. I hmm. It's curious. I would say Caracano, but I haven't actually finished Caracano. The one time Anno decided to do a thing that is just like pure childish, um, not not at all surrounded by intense uh, political dramatic feeling. Let's just watch teenagers struggle with being romantic to each other. I forgot he did Caracano. Damn. <laughs> Yeah, that's him. Damn. That's the reason why. That's the reason why he doesn't do anime series anymore. <laughs> Listen, I. You know what? I can't blame oh. him in the in the current culture of anime series. 
If you didn't have to do it, I just fucking wouldn't do it either. Yeah, fair. As I remind, as I remind that the Caracano anime came out the exact same time Pokemon was off the air for causing seizures. <laughs> and uh, at that time, it was like making making TV is harder mm. now. Maybe I don't want to do it. And that's why no one remembers Caracano. <laughs> I mean, historically speaking, Anno plus deadlines has never been like uh, <laughs> a great I mean, combination. Yes. Uh, if you saw there, there is uh, there is an actually wonderful documentary. Um, the NHK does a series called The Professionals, um, a series of uh, documentaries of um, high profile established professionals in certain fields working on a large scale project, and did a professional's documentary on Anno during the production of um, Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0. Oh my god. Which is very good, in part because it has perhaps my most intense, my favorite most intense shot of a documentary ever, which is Anno curled up um, in the fetal position in a room in a rental property uh, on the coast of Japan alone. Um... Definitely not crying. <laughs> um, struggling to deal with the fact that the deadline has been pushed back several times. Um, and he is still, like, coming to terms with the project in the scope that is in his brain. And I'm like, this is a man that wants to be free from Evangelion. Mm-hmm. And I am glad that he is free. And then they announced, um, what was it? The Shin Superheroes Universe. Which is, what if uh, all of the Shin movies sold merch, but they sold Evangelion yeah. merch? Listen, that machine, uh, that machi- like, he'll never this, escape that machine. He is like, yeah, he is psychologically trapped. He is, he is Sisyphus trying to roll the ball up the hill, and the ball is be nicer yeah. to each other. <laughs> But the hill is giant yeah, robots. The, the, the very funny thing is Evangelion is a franchise that has produced well, like, is a billion dollar franchise created by a man who did not want to make a billion dollar franchise. You know what still hurts me about Evangelion as a franchise, just to be very brief? Given everything that we know about Rey as a character, it would obviously strike you as very off-putting if I told you that Rey is the main character in an ad for red lipstick. <laughs> Listen. Right? That sounds weird to you? The, But it's true. I mean, it doesn't sound weird to me because I know of the... I watched uh, I watched a video where somebody lived for one month off of just Evangelion merchandise. Uh, so. <laughs> I mean, you can... By the way, also, also particularly um, troubling, a thing that uh, my friend Iori on our podcast, Righteous Kicks, had to like show me idly one day on the premium Bandai website, Japan, Bandai Japan's official merch store. You can buy um, Gendo and Yui Ikari re- wedding rings. <laughs> That's so cursed. I need That's so August. Cursed. August. August is getting married soon. August. 
August. No, no, don't do that to your marriage. No. Don't, don't, don't blight it like that. Don't hex your marriage. I'm gonna sneak these on the sky the oh. to walk them. Down. Oh no. my god! <laughs> Nothing represents true love much like uh, the the symbolic representation of someone so destroyed by grief that they'd be willing to kill their own son in space <laughs> to regain that. Nope, I don't want that in my life. I'm good. <laughs> you can also buy double wedding rings, by the way. You can buy Kamen Rider double wedding rings. Oh my website. God. But you, you, just need a, you just need a VPN and a, a Japanese credit card and you can buy Kamen Rider double wedding rings. Oh my God. So walking up to a gay couple, a gay couple on the street. So which one of you is Cyclone and which one of you is Joker? <laughs> I love it. Yes. You know, you have to do the thing now, right? I will send you the link. I will send you the link tomorrow to the thing. Oh, gosh. All righty. So I guess what right. we're closing on is you should watch Kamen Rider yep. Double. And then get married. We still watch this movie, but watch Kamen Rider Double and then get married. <laughs> yep. Uh, all righty. Um, uh, Brandon, tell everybody about all the stuff that you do. I do stuff. Hi, I'm Brandon O'Brien. I am a poet, writer, and game designer from Trinidad and Tobago. My pronouns are he and they. You can find me almost everywhere on the internet at The Rising Tides. That's T-I-T-H-E-S. I have a website called brandonobrien.xyz. It is also my newsletter. So if you want to hear me talk about writing, talk about RPGs, and show you screenshots of whatever mobile game I'm playing, you can do that there. I will be at Big Bad Con in... Late September, that's what month that is. Um, so if you're hearing this before then, I will actually be playtesting and talking more about Hero Revolution, a Kamen Rider-inspired RPG that is presently in development by me. Because I think a lot about uh, Kamen Rider and it just kind of consumes a part of my brain. I'm also the co-host of a Kamen Rider podcast called Righteous Kicks, which is the least regular podcast that you will ever hear about in your life, but it is a part of the Skiffy and Fanti show, and you can find out more about Skiffy and Fanti podcast at skiffyandfanti.com. Listen, you, we might be coming to you, coming after you for that particular title with this show. <laughs> Homie, I haven't recorded an episode, an episode of Righteous Kicks in nearly eight months because I was waiting to watch this movie. And now that I have, and I've the first place that I've talked about it is here. So you should consider yourself blessed. <laughs> we are. We we can we are we are very blessed. Um August, what I'm glad yeah, to be here. Uh, what's going on over in FTL land? Uh we are finally wrapping up uh FTL presents Pathfinder. Uh the first two episodes of the last arc have already released. I need to get my ass in gear and get the rest of it edited but Baldur's Gate um <laughs> so uh after that uh we've got a couple of cool guests lined up uh I don't want to say too much about it because we haven't recorded yet but we will soon um none of us have as cool cool of a guest lined up as Jeff Stormer does yeah well <laughs> um the uh the room where it happened is actually recording again after much consternation um 
if you if you liked if you oh. don't already listen to the room where it happened and you're listening to this podcast um and you're like oh brandon's really cool uh you should come also listen to the room where it happened where brandon is occasionally on there being um uh pro-union werewolves and extremely anti-union fey i feel like <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. i am i'm very eager to get back into uh, elder county that was really yeah dope. hopefully uh, i'll talk to you about it once we hit the, hit the end button so yeah yes um but uh also dumb kids will be returning relatively soon uh to finally to, to to finally wrap up that show. <laughs> um, or at least this particular iteration of the show. So um Alrighty. Well, hopefully next time you hear us, it will be in fact in actually two weeks, and August and I will be watching the first three episodes of the witch or mobile suit Gundam, the witch from Mercury. And when we say the first three episodes, we mean episode zero, the epilogue episode one, and then episode two, not the epilogue, the prologue. That's what comes first, (laughs) but yeah, episode zero, which is available on YouTube. Um, the rest is available. I believe on Crunchyroll. They finally put the whole damn thing on Crunchyroll. Um, or if you've got like, if you're like me and you have an uncle that works at sunrise, uh, he could probably hook you up too. So, <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, per usual, uh, Brandon, uh, our, so we have a sign off. <laughs> we never explain this to our guests till oh. about four seconds before they have to do it. Um, <laughs> we okay. have a sign off, um, that is, uh, a reference to Steven Universe that is, uh, uh audience, we implore you. Uh, to be like Cookie Cat and leave your family behind. <laughs> um, <laughs> um. There's a cat. He's from sp- outer space. Um, it's a whole thing. I I I I see. <laughs> so, uh, by all means, please uh, let our audience. <laughs> if, if you don't care to do our sign off for us. <laughs> Oh, God. Wait, what? (laughs) Repeat the entire thing again? Uh, Audience, we implore you to be like Cookie Cat and leave your family behind. (laughs) Or whatever weird variation on that you want to do. Is there a variation? Aha, (laughs) I know it. (laughs) Audience, we implore you to be like Kamen Rider and kick things to death. Hell yeah. Peace. Peace. (laughs)